Today's topic is talking to kids about the OU Texas game. It's a really challenging conversation for a lot of us. Did Jason <laughs> Texas? No, he did not. I did. You did. I appreciate that. Some of us are not okay. John letting that one thing go for 49 hours last night was too soon. Oh, bad. Too soon. All right, let's, today we're going to talk actually about uh, sin and topics related to sin. Uh, you, you actually get to the rudiments of this with your kids really early because you talk about rules. It's, you use words like, it's good to do this, it's bad to do this, it's right to do this, it's wrong to do that. So you, you use that language really early, but we also understand kids aren't meaningfully, I think the word is culpable, um, for their behaviors, because they're kids, right? That there's a, even, every culture on the planet makes a distinction somewhere between uh, the age of majority of, of adulthood and childhood and it's different in every culture, and we fight about it, but we all know it's there somewhere. So kids, we try to teach them the sense of right and wrong, but we also know that they're not quite getting it. They're more getting get into trouble versus reward is what they get out of it, and we hope that that somehow teaches right and wrong. <laughs> um, so when we, they get a little older, we start talking about sin and things like this. We have some of the language. We're just trying to take it a little further um, and help them understand it in a more adult way. So let's do a little translating. Um, when we talk about sin, usually we're going to talk about not doing what God said or a law or commandment in some way. So um, I think it's good to talk about God has rules. God has rules and they're there to protect us. Uh, if you can make that point early, you're way ahead. That it's not just an arbitrary rule. This will actually help you with parenting too. When they say, why do I have to do this? My temptation is always to say, because I said so, I'm in, I'm in charge. And I say that a lot. But when I'm feeling like a better parent, I say it's because it's for your good. And I don't expect you to understand it now, but it's in your best interest that it happens in this way. And I think God's rules are the same way. To us, they sometimes feel arbitrary because we don't understand them. Why does, why does God care who you have sex with? Like in any, not any one in particular, there's like any sexual rule in the Bible, of which there are a handful. Why does God care? Apparently, some kind of behaviors are not in your best interest, is, is what I believe. Do I understand in every case? Sometimes I can kind of see it, and then sometimes I'm like, well, I don't know, but it, God says it would not be helpful to me, so I won't do that. Uh, so whatever the rule is, thinking of it as a, a rule that's in your best interest is helpful. Uh, the Bible uses language of desire and lust. Um, you don't have to make that one too complicated. It's just wanting something. Every kid knows what it's like to want something. The marketing firms have no problems with children. Just show them an ad and it's like, I want that. Okay. So wanting something, we have a great saying at our house that Celine got from her mother that gets repeated ad infinitum. Um, kid says, hey, I want this or I want to do that. And Celine will say, invariably, it's nice to want things. 
and then just sit quietly. Because she didn't say yes or no, she just says, she's making the point, there is no logical connection between you wanting it and you getting it, right? You're just expressing your current emotional state. I am in a state of wanting this. Very nice. Nice to meet you, Thurston. <laughs> <laughs> and the room is 71 degrees. Uh, the sun is shining. What other facts do we want to know? Like, they don't lead to any action. It's nice to want things. It's great parenting. But when she uses it on me, not fair. <laughs> nice to want things. Stop it. Okay. Temptation. Whoa. I didn't mean to do that. I didn't know I could do that. Um, I like to describe temptation as something you want in a trap. Right, that it's it uses the first thing, the desire, but there's a trap. So, mouse trap or whatever. Like we're going to get some good analogies of like it's it's the bait. <laughs> Temptation. It's not bad to want things. Temptation is when somebody puts something you want somewhere it'll hurt you to get it in a trap. So sin is then. There's some different things we could say. Breaking God's rules is, I think, the the base level Like you could start there. Again, I really hope we go further than that, because I hope we know that Christianity is more than just, well, there are these rules, you've got to do these things. Um, we could talk about it's, you know, it's disappointing God, or it's doing something harmful. Uh, there's a lot of different words, and we're going to use a lot of metaphors today to try to get at the point. Um, I, as a parent, I, I told myself, I'm not going to tell my kids that it's all about following God's rules. We're going to like, explain this robust doctrine of sin, and then I ended up saying, well, you broke God's rule. Because <laughs> that works at a certain age, and it just it's fine. It works as an adult, too, and at a certain level. Uh, but there, there's more to it than that, and then I hope we get to it. And then the Bible says, the wage of sin is death. And I think what we're trying to convey at some point to kids is that Sin is saying no to God. So the consequence of saying no to God is being without God. If you say to God, I don't want you in my life, then what you have left is something called life, but without God in it. Uh, sounds a lot more like death to me. So as kids mature, we're trying to communicate that more. And that will help. Eventually, I want to talk to you about hell in a future lesson way down the road. But... This point is actually better than talking about hell to me. Like I, I, don't, I don't spend a lot of time telling Lucas, if you do this, you will burn. I do spend a lot of time talking to Lucas about if we want to have a relationship with God, there are things we have to do in our lives. This is how we have to be and how we have to live. If we choose not to do those things, we don't get God. Forever don't get God. And I think it's one of the descriptions of that would be this word hell we'll use later, but not today. But what the idea is that we're, we, it's not so much that God is picking you up and flinging you into hell, it's that you are walking yourself into it and closing the door behind you. That's a much better, in my opinion, way of thinking of it. C.S. Lewis always reminds us, hell is locked from the inside. Everybody there got there on their own. Okay, so, good news, the Bible is full of metaphors for sin. Because a fair bit of the Bible is God trying to explain to us that we're sinners. So uh, because we're stupid, he uses pictures, and then we get to use those pictures with our kids. Um, biblical metaphor, we might start in Genesis 2. 
uh, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay? There's a rule given, and he's told, if you break the rule, there will be a consequence. Okay? It's, it's literally the first Bible story with a person in it. Is God saying, there's a rule, if you break the rule, it will hurt you. And I think that's a great place to start when talking about sin. God's law is like a warning label. Okay? There are things that are dangerous. There are things that are hurtful. There are some things that can be poisonous. Okay? When parents or labels tell us not to touch certain things, it's not to be mean. Okay? When I say don't stick your fork into the electrical outlet, it's not because that's a really fun experience and I don't want you to have it. It's because it's really bad for you to do that. I think because we're all a little childlike, we imagine every rule is just someone trying to keep us from something really fun. And what I hope we convey to kids about our parenting and about God is actually quite a lot of those is because it's dangerous, because you will get hurt, or you might get hurt, or there is a high probability you'll get hurt. And so we say, don't do that. Okay? God says, if you eat that particular fruit, it's going to end bad. And they did, and it did. Okay? The rule was a warning label. Don't do this. And at the same time, you get to talk to your kids about the importance of warning labels. Uh, back in that same story, so when Owen saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took up its fruit and ate, and she also gave her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And it was all her fault. Oh, that's not what it says, sorry. Uh, uh, lust and desire is like wanting things, okay? It's okay to want things. Or as my wife says, it's nice to want things. It's great. We all want things. But not everything you want is good for you, okay? Even among things that are good for you, you can't have everything that you want. Some things are mutually exclusive. You pick one and you're picking against the other. Right? I can take you to Disney World or I can take you to Disneyland. I can't go to both at the same time. They're on a different side of the continent. So even something enjoyable, they're still mutually exclusive. There's only so many things you can do at the same time. Um, so wanting things is something you have to regulate in yourself. You can't have everything you want, even if they're good. Uh, as you get older, you want different things. The same rules apply. Now I want a truck or a, you know, I went from a Hot Wheel to an actual vehicle that I want. Yeah. My, my taste had become more expensive as an adult, but the principles apply the same. So I, I think it's great to talk to your kids about there are things I want. Don't get them. It's nice to want things. Okay. I don't think you have to put your kids on a mega guilt trip here, which some parents do. Well, we provide for you, and you get all these things, and why do you even want it? It's like, of course they want things. Humans are not good at being content. I mean, have you met yourself? We're not good at being content with what we have. And little humans are the same. So they don't have to get a guilt trip about the kids starting in Africa every time they don't finish their plate or whatever. You know, If you want to do that, that's fine, but just saying. It's also fine to say, yeah, I want things too. It's nice to want things. That's why I love that phrase. It's nice to want things. Yeah, it's true. But here's where we're at. 
James 1 is my favoriteest passage to talk about the definition of sin and temptation. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So there's four different stages in that verse, and they're not all equal. You start with a desire. That is man, more or less, in his natural state. You wanting something. And then someone, whether it's the devil or the ad agency, finds a way to use that desire to motivate you towards an action. Okay, so you are, what does it say, lured and enticed, right? The wanting wasn't the problem, but someone is using your want to get you to act and do something they <coughs> want. Even that is not sin. Sin, it says, is when that desire conceives and gives birth. Like, when it culminates in that action, now I've got sin. So it's not a sin to be tempted. This is something we, we do wrong a lot. We talk about feelings as if the feeling themselves is inherently evil. The wanting itself is inherently evil. Um, being tempted is not evil. Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Right? So uh, there is a difference between being tempted and actually sinning. So how, question, so like, says, the Bible says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, Yes. And you committed adultery. So how is that? I was trying to decide which of you was going to quote Matthew 5 to me, because someone always does. Well done. Because that's, that's the kind of the... Jesus pushes back on the idea that thoughts and feelings don't matter at all. So I'll give you this example. Let's say you are... Um, let's make it easy. You are a man, and you like women. Okay? Um... Let's say you are attracted to a female actress. Okay. Being attracted to a female actress, again, I think maybe if she's beautiful, is a natural state. Of course you are. She's pretty. Okay. Odds are that woman would not sleep with you regardless. Like it's not actually in the realm of possibility for you anyway. And I think Jesus' point is just because you couldn't pull it off anyway, doesn't mean you haven't already made the determination. Like you, you, when you reach the point, I would do it if I had the chance, the fact that you didn't have a chance doesn't mean that you aren't morally culpable for the sin has conceived, the desire conceived and gave birth. And I think that's the difference. When we talked to the boys at church camp, we used to say, and girls, I guess, as well, mm-hmm. we'd say, you, you can't keep a bird from flying overhead, but you can keep it from making a nest in your hair. And that's kind of Jesus' point. Like when it, when that desire lives rent-free in your head all the time, um, the fact that you just haven't done it yet is just coincidence. It's just circumstance. You would have if you could have. Okay. But the desire, and so even the way Jesus words it, he doesn't say when you desire a woman. He says when you look to desire. Like you're looking with the intent of provoking a desire because you enjoy the stimulation of the desire. That you're just embracing and enjoying that. So it's not a matter of I'm being tempted, it's I'm actually indulging in this in a fantasy world, even though that woman wants nothing to do with me. And I think that's his point. Is don't To the, the legalist who says, well, I didn't actually con- commit adultery, I just stalked her all over town and 
put pictures of her on my wall and have a shrine in my bedroom. And I didn't have adultery, you know. Jesus is like, hey guys, <laughs> well before you actually do that physical act, you made a determination. And the fact that circumstances didn't allow it don't change the fact. Okay. Does that make some sense? Yeah. And I think that lines up fairly well with James. Yeah. So, temptations. I'm learning how to choose the right audio apps for you. No, you're not. <laughs> Fix my watch. I don't know how to make it stop yelling at me. I did it in Bible class the other night. Just talks to me all the time. You're so much smarter than me. Lure fishing. I even say lure fishing because uh, this is a different metaphor for what it's worth in the New Testament. When Jesus says, I'm going to make you fishers of men, right? That's net fishing. You fling the net out there, you grab them up, you bring them in. That's Galilean fishermen. Uh, what we do is angling, right? We're not, we're not throwing a net out. We are luring and enticing and drawing in one at a time. Uh, and that's a pretty good metaphor for what temptation is. Something you want with a really big hook in it. Right. Uh, fish being sown, something it wants, but with a hook attached. Can't have the lure without the hook. They're attached. The fish chooses the lure anyway. And the fish doesn't know any better. You do. What's your problem? Right. Uh, I have a video. I'll skip it today. For sake of time, I like to show the uh, baboon trap video. You guys know the baboon trap? It's one of my favorite. <sighs> you guys need some National Geographic or something. The baboon trap is just. So in Africa, you want to catch a baboon. There are these mounds, like ant mounds, and what the natives will do is they'll put little melon seeds in one of the holes, and the baboon smells it, and he's re they're really paranoid. So like they look around, and the video is great. So like, I see who's out there. And then he will reach his hand down the hole and get the seeds, okay? At which point he makes a fist, and his hand is now too large to get back out of the hole. It will not let go. You can now walk up to the baboon and put a leash around its neck, and you own a baboon. And it will not let go because it really wants the seeds. And, like, I, I can't imagine a better picture of sin, of, like, I want this. Hey, it's killing you. Yeah, but seeds... <laughs> Look, <laughs> and, and that's sin. It's like this. It's it's something you want with a trap attached, and it's yes. Someone was insidious and evil. Who who puts a hook on a perfectly good worm, right? Someone poor angler is out there. Poor fish is just trying to do its thing, and an angler like Austin is out there trying to do it harm, right? And the, who's this crazy guy trying to catch baboons? And who is Satan? Who is this guy who just wants us to fail? It's at least partially his fault. But while I'm sitting there with my hand in the trap saying, yeah, it's Satan's fault, at some point, a little personal reflection, and you say, you know, <laughs> I, I did have some say in this, didn't I? E even to the point I still have some say in this, and I'm still not saying it. Right? I'm just going to hang on to this forever. And, and me, it's, just, it's a funny metaphor for what sin is all about. Um, 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Um, sin is like touching a hot stove. It's a decision you make. The rules exist to protect you. You ignore these rules because you think you know best, you'll get hurt. Sin is lawlessness. It's, it's chaos. It's accepting the consequence of whatever it is. Why, when, do you tell your kids, don't touch the hot stove or I will burn you? No, it's not like punitive. You're not saying, if you touch the hot stove, I will take something hot and burn you with it. What you're telling them is, that's what hot stoves do. 
If you touch it, it will hurt. It's not me being mean. And I really do think that's what happens in the garden when God says, hey, this tree, I put it there. I just let you know, if you have that fruit, it's going to kill you. And we say, oh, really? I don't think it was, if you do that, I will punish you because I'm hateful. I think he was saying, this is a thing. Apparently it exists for a reason, but it's not for you to eat. And so I think we have rules. And yeah, we're not in favor of lawlessness. Um, Once in a while, we practice lawlessness in our house. On a Friday night or something, we say, kids, I'm going to bed. Lucas, you can stay up as long as you want. Then Saturday morning, I like to wake him up. <laughs> now, and is that punitive? A little bit. But it's also like, why do we have a bedtime? Because in the morning we have things to do. And I'm not going to make you tired, but that is going to be the consequence of what you chose. And it's important at some point, especially as kids get a certain age, to realize these rules ex- exist, not because I'm mean, because I don't want you to be cranky in the morning. We're doing something in your best interest. Chaos bad. Although you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, the stain of your iniquity is before me, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 2.22. I think another good metaphor for sin in the world is like playing in the mud. And if those of you with only daughters, I'm sorry, you just don't understand the joy of raising boys. Have you met whatever? Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe girls do. It. I'm just saying, boys, boys love some mud. What's the connection here between mud and sin? It's not your fault that it rained outside. Okay, you, you didn't do that. You did not create those circumstances. And my kids and myself and everyone I've ever met were born into a sinful world. I didn't do that. It's not your fault that mud is so muddy. I don't know why sin plays out the way that it does. It seems to be the way it works. But you do have a choice about whether you're going to roll around in the mud. Okay? You get some choice in that. And that's what I'm trying to communicate to my kids. Like, yeah, you were born into a really muddy world. I'm sorry. There's a lot of bad stuff out there. Eventually, you're going to get muddy. Happens to all of us. You get some choice about whether you're going to be in the pigsty or not. Like, you get some choice about that. And if you wallow around in the pigsty, you don't get to complain and say, wow, mud is terrible. It's like, hey, you know what? There were some other places to be. And I like that because it's, it's not all in everybody sins, it's okay, because it's not. But neither is this terrible guilt trip of sinless perfection, that's my expectation of you. Everything's your fault. It's like, no. Some of this, it's out there. I, I can't help that. Had a conversation with Lucas yesterday, or last week and his principal, uh, some kid uh, showed Lucas an inappropriate image on the kid's phone. And Lucas reacted pretty good and like told an adult, hey, this guy's just walking around with things on his phone showing people things they shouldn't see. And so, you know, Lucas got picked on a little bit for being a snitch. And uh, at the same time, I'm pretty pleased with my son mm-hmm. and his vice principal, assistant principal called to tell me, hey, your kid's a pretty good kid. That's a phone call I'm looking forward to. When Lucas came home, he said, has Mr. Hatcher called you yet? And I said, what did you do? <laughs> and oddly enough, it was a good call. It was nice. But here's my point. Like, Lucas didn't pick what was on that kid's phone. He has no control over it. 
there's stuff out there in the world of internet and cell phones. Like, your kid's going to see stuff. It's just reality. You get to decide what you do after that. And he did. Wow. Hey. Somewhere, one of us was a good parent, like for a minute. It was me, not you. I know it was you. But, but that's great, right? Another important idea where we get to talk about the gospel is a muddy boy in a muddy puddle cannot make himself clean. Like there's no amount of muddy water that can wash mud off. It doesn't work. So if you want to be clean, we're going to need some outside help. And so God comes with this giant garden hose of the blood of Christ. And somehow, that's a terrible metaphor, but you get the point. Like you need God to intervene. You need, at some point, a parent says, stop, please don't touch anything, stand in front of this hose. Because there's nothing else they can do other than make it worse. I think it also teaches you can't do it alone. Right. Like, I mean, yes, we have Jesus, but we also need help from another person getting out of the mud and helping show us how to get clean. <clears throat> so I, I like any metaphor that's a little bit of both. Yes, you have some responsibility. Yeah, you need help. Mm-hmm. And that's the way the world works. Finally, uh, this one I added this time around. I didn't have it in my notes the first time I taught this. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The Bible quite often talks about sin as a disease. And you are in a unique position as parents to say sin is kind of like COVID, kind of like the mud thing. It was, it's out there, right? Did I ask for it? No. What are my options? Probably you're going to get it at some point. Are there some things that make it more likely you get it than others? Yeah, if you're out there licking doorknobs, you don't get to say, I don't know how I got COVID. Okay, well, I do. There are some choices. At the same time, I think we've learned in the last three years, like building an isolation chamber in your home was not a realistic option either. Okay. So Christ says, hey, you're in the world, you're not of the world. Mm-hmm. You're going to be out there, there's bad stuff out there, don't be stupid. And we all have to kind of navigate that with the infectious disease and with sin. It's, it's out there. Okay. So how do we navigate that? And I think once you have it, you want a cure. And that's another big C.S. Lewis point. He says that you don't just need forgiven, you need cured. Like you need healed. But it's actually damaged us. And they are, are lasting consequences of having gotten it. So we need not just, you're forgiven for getting sick. <laughs> you actually need someone to make you better. And that's really the story of the gospel. Okay. Apparently, that means I have to stop now. Um, maybe next time I'll talk about sin as a monster. Because I think it's fun, too. But I'm out of time. Next time, we'll pick up with that, and we'll also talk about uh, the cross and what we do with it.